After the Time Out podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki, two high school head coaches talking basketball on the court, off the court, and anything in between. On today's episode of the After the Time Out podcast, we sit down with Coach Alicia Vistendahl, assistant men's basketball coach and athletic trainer at Bethel University. We talk to Coach Vistendahl about her experience in the WNBA, how to increase the number of female coaches in men's basketball, being an athletic trainer and coach, and the Bethel University Offensive Concepts. Enjoy the show. much for for joining us uh especially on the recruiting trail um you know you got to get out and get your get your players we're, we're excited to talk to you uh, we're looking forward to it here uh since we we've got you decided to get you on so um first question um obviously you're you're in men's athletics right and the number of women in men's athletics is growing um but it's not as big as it should be um not as big as it can be because there's a lot of talented coaches um out there uh, how can we continue to grow the number of female coaches in men's athletics and what are some of the things you think may, maybe make people reluctant or um just it, it it doesn't work out i don't i don't know i you know i don't know the right yep, the right yep. term for it but um yeah no i think that's a great conversation topic right now um and i think it's a fun thing that we that we're talking about um, I know for me personally, um, I wasn't really out shooting for it. Like I want, I got to get on the men's side. I got to get on the men's side. Like it just, um, my, my path, um, just led to this and, and where it became an opportunity. And I ended up being in a position where when the coach was ready to hire his full-time assistant, he said, I want you. And so that's, and again, that didn't just happen like that, but because of my path and and where we were at the time. Um, but I, but it's led to some great conversations. I don't know if I can speak into um, greatly about the actual hiring and decisions and all of that. Five or six years ago, I would say that I had, a, I would say um, on, a, on a more frequent basis, I would say I had to defend what I'm doing and why I was doing it and why I was in the position where I'm in. And now, I don't want to like, I almost forget that it's not normal, which is, I think that's huge. And I think that's a step in the right direction that it becomes just like more of a casual conversation rather than something that's extremely abnormal. If that's helpful. Definitely. No, that definitely should be more, more commonplace, um, you know, than, than, than outside the norm. Yes. So let's get into um, the time before Bethel. Obviously, you were sure. an athletic trainer for the Minnesota Lynx of the WNBA. So, you know, what made you want to go from being an athletic trainer to getting back into coaching as well? Yes. Um, so I'm grateful for my path. I love that um, doing athletic training and up, I always love sports, being around sports and being involved. And, and I, I love the medical field and oh, like, ding, 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 let me try sports medicine. For me, it was great. Like just being able to go down that path. And, um, and I loved being able to be on, um, 
be a part of the support staff as an athletic trainer. I think that was such a key role. And I got to be, I got to be very involved with teams. And so when I was with the Lynx, um, you know, obviously I wasn't a coach, but I was very involved with our coaching staff, um, you know, and everything that was going on and obviously traveling and, um, you know, helping even things like helping with the draft and research and being in the war room. And I think I, and I think one of the things that I love about sports and I've always loved about sports is, um, is just coaching staffs and how they work and how they, how assistants and head coaches work together and leading that team. And um, so I think, and then one of my roles when I was an assistant athletic trainer was I would help out with the visiting team when they, when they came into town and you just get to know people throughout the league over the years. And I was, you know, I was with the Lynx for eight years, three as an assistant, as five as the head. So I think I was just drawn to that and, and learning from different coaches and staffs and how they ran their, ran their teams and ran their programs. Um, I, the reason I left the Lynx was um, I actually left the Lynx a week before our daughter was born when we had our first child. And we knew, my husband and I knew when, um, when we had kids, I wouldn't continue on most likely with the WNBA. And so we decided that after I had kids, after we had kids and after, after our daughter was born. And so when my babies were little, I um, did some contract athletic training at back at Bethel, which is my alma mater. And then, so basically I just did some athletic training when they were, when they were younger and then when they got a little bit older was actually when I was ready to start getting maybe a little bit more involved and into things professionally and growing as a professional and trying to decide exactly what I wanted to get into. And um, that's when Coach Novak came to Bethel and I was the athletic men's, I was men's basketball was one of the teams that I was the athletic trainer for. And then I grew into my role in helping more with the team and where I eventually was aired on as um, the assistant coach. So that's a little bit about my path and how I got there. Um, and I guess, long story short, I just love being as involved with teams as I can. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to coach, like coach men's basketball at the college level. So kind of going into that, you know, you worked with some high level elite professional athletes. You know, what were some of the things that you learned from working with those athletes that you kind of took into the college game? Yeah, good question. Um, I think like those athletes um, obviously were not at that level without hard work, dedication, commitment, um, and good people around them. I think that's a big deal. I thought one of the neat things when I was at the Lynx is we had players that had played at UConn and Tennessee and Georgia and Duke. And, um, and I was able to learn so much from them. And then for, and then, and then together we were learning how to like go into that, that next level. And um, a couple of different things. So one is just their understanding of how important it was to take care of their bodies from a health standpoint, nutrition, um, you know, injuries, injury prevention, strength conditioning, all of that. And then obviously um, fine tuning their craft and getting better all the time as a basketball player. And, and I think one of the biggest things is learning from them and bringing that to the college level is like, 
having people around you that add value, like if they knew that I could help them in a certain way, then they were going to listen to that. And I think, I think a big thing that professionals have to do is they have to, um, they have to decide who they're going to listen to, especially you think of like social media and things like that. You think of how many people are in their ears, you know, we talk about parents and family and friends and, you know, fans, everybody who thinks that they've got an opinion. And I think, I think professionals have to really tune into like, who am I going to keep in my inner circle? And then I'm going to listen to as I try to grow and develop. Um, and so I think, I think that was, and even just being around the Timberwolves too, and just learning, seeing the, seeing the ones that excelled and grew and, and could continue, like, especially some of these athletes that you see that the longevity of their careers, like how have they done that? And it, it is an interesting area, I think. So kind of as we transition back into Bethel a little bit, we were just curious, you know, you're listed as the athletic trainer and the assistant coach. So during, yes. the, if a player gets hurt, do you ever have like a conflict? Yes. So that's a good question. Um, so we said from the get go, like, like it, it doesn't, it's not going to look perfect, but we, but, but we think it could be great. And I think there's been a lot of things that I've been able to take as an athletic trainer like my mind, my mind and my thought and the way I look at things as an athletic trainer and how that's, how that can help our team. And then obviously at the time, there might be a time where those two like coincide. And we've said athletic training trumps coaching because in that moment, I've got to take care of that athlete. And so my job, and I really think I, I've done this and can do this. And it's better just to know that like it's time to flip and it's all about the athletic training at that moment. And I really do think like I'm fine with that because caring for that athlete is the most important at that time. Then probably the hardest part is then, okay, now, especially in a game, I step back into it and sit down and our other assistant coaches might catch me up on, on what just happened and that. And, and our head coach knows that that's just, that's just how we do things. And it's, it's different, but we make it work. Well, let's, let's get back. Let's get into the basketball uh, and, and the development part here. Um, so one of your, I guess, core principles or core values is is identifying players' strengths and your players playing to their strengths. Um, you know, during the off season, right? Like you know, us high school guys, we're going to the off season. We're looking at film. We're trying to figure out, okay, what can fit in for next year. Um, how do you help your players translate those strengths into your the concepts you're you're running for next year and really realize what those strengths are? Because a lot of times I feel like players don't see it like the coach does. Sure, sure. Um, well, one thing obviously that's with division three is when our season ends, we can't coach our guys again until next October 15th. Right. And so that presents a really unique situation from that standpoint. Um, and so it's one of the reasons for us that teaching not teaching our players how to teach is such a big deal so they'll do they'll do skill development in the spring where they're on the court and they'll be together in the summer at times and they'll be together again in the fall on the court so we can't at our camps in the summer like kids that come to our camp they learn to basketball and so our guys teaching the campers to play basketball the way you and what's important and like the studies have shown when you have to teach something, you're, you're going to learn it better yourself. 
And so when it comes to the footwork and finishing and different, different things that are extremely important to us, um, like our older guys will teach our younger guys and, and they'll correct them. And we always say like, in order to be in our program and be around our program, you have to be willing to be coached by everyone in the program. It's not just about the head coach or the assistant coaches, like our older guys and everybody's going to be coaching each other. And so, um, so that's a big deal. And then also I think throughout the season, um, like hopefully by the end of the season, especially a freshman coming in, if we've done our job, like by coaching and practices and games, like they know the things that are most important to us. Coach Novak talks about a napkin offense, like rather than having a 250 page binder about Bethel basketball, hopefully you can narrow it down to, an, to like what we would put on a napkin. And those are the things that are most important to us. And that the guy should be practicing and working on. And we think they could go run a mini practice by themselves based on like what's most important to our program. So let's go through kind of a season. So let's start off with take us through a practice at the beginning of the year. What are you focusing on skill development wise? Obviously Todd and I are huge fans of the Novak stuff and the stuff on the web. And I run most of the Novak stuff myself. So during the beginning of the season, what are you focusing on skill development wise and how does that change or progress throughout the season? Yeah, I think, um, you know, if you watch one of our practices at the beginning of the year and the middle of the year, you're going to see a lot of things that are similar. We're probably just going to be spending a little bit more time on, on some stuff at the beginning of the year, but we'll, we, we want to be doing skill development throughout the whole year. Now we'll fit those things into different, in different ways into practices. It's not like, okay, right now we're just going to go work on finishing because like, so we get, we definitely have some shooting drills that we'll do and we'll mix in. Um, one of the things that we do that might be different to some people is the way we just get started and we warm up. And so we'll bring, there's usually like volleyball or women's basketball in the gym before us. So we'll go in the film room and then we'll go right up onto the court. And so we kind of warm up as we're, we warm up their brains and we warm up their bodies at the same time. So we start with um, installation, just doing five on O at a very slow pace. And so that's kind of like, like teaching them with, with no stress. And that's the goal is that we're walking, I'm like jogging through things, 60, 70% speed. We're going through some things and then we're teaching some concepts of what we're going to do five on home. Then we'll go into our habits of movement. And, and that, that's the same thing we do every single day. And it's about getting there. So then we'll go up and down a little bit, just stretching it out, but it's about getting their hips loosened up, getting their feet right. And then into some defensive footwork that's important to us. And then we build up into some defensive concepts or then get into shooting and some other and some drills from there. Um, the other things that we, we fit in is, is a different, some different breakdowns within like maybe just three on O or four on O, just actions that we're doing that eventually we're going to get back into those actions with five on O as well. Um, but then we do a lot of our, like within that, we'll do our, um, like after a shooting two minute drill is one drill that we do almost every single day. And it's the one drill that we record results and we keep track of that. But after that, we might do some finishing, specific finishing skills at their basket. 
But then when we go into like three on all, four on all, we're doing, we're still doing those finishing skills. So they're just going to get so many reps of it um, because that's one of the things that's most important to us. And then we'll add different things in based on where we are at and where we think that 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 team at that given moment needs to needs to get some extra attention to and the things that are important to us. But but we'll do that stuff throughout the year. It just might vary on how much time is spent on each thing. Okay, so uh, yeah, no, that's 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 totally awesome. Um, so obviously, your guys' systems and what you do is pretty much known across across the country, probably more more than that. Um, put yourself into that that the head coach shoes, right? Uh, what would say you go get a head coaching job, whoever? What are some of the things you would take with you for your offensive system? Maybe what are some things you would add? And like within what you guys run, what are your favorite concepts that you guys, you guys do pretty consistently? Yeah. Be funny if she says none of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, like I, I think you're right. I think people are, I think even our guys, sometimes they blown away by the number of coaches that reach out and ask questions and want to learn in depth about, about um, our offense and how we do things and how we run practice and all of that. And um, I just think like, like, is there a better compliment to that for coach Novak? Cause I think that's a really big deal. And I love talking to coaches, especially when everybody, I mean, like different coaches of all different levels and men and women, boys and girls, everything. And I think that's pretty cool that, um, that what we do can be, can be taken and used everywhere. So I mean, goodness, of course, my answer is like, of course, I would do exactly what Coach Novak does, right? Because it's, it works. And I think it's fun to think about um, if I was starting with a seventh grade girls team, what would I do? If I was starting with like, uh, you know, Big Ten men's team, what would I do? And I think so much of this, uh, like the offense that we run and, this, and um, the skill development and all of that can translate and be used anywhere. So um honestly, because I'm just so invested in where I'm at right now, I probably don't think, I don't think that much about it. Like, like what I would do with it, but I know that I would, I know I've learned so much from coach Novak and how he looks at the game and thinks about the game and, and understands the game. And then I know that I could take those, those skills and translate over um, if I was the head coach of my own team. And I think um, one of my favorite things and Adam that I admire about him is how he's able to tweak and adjust based on our personnel. And just because we were like really good at something last year, like, okay, this next team that might not be their strengths, but this is where they're good at and he can adjust. And I would hope that I would be able to do that as well based on like the team that I'm coaching and the personnel and, and, what they're good at and what they love doing. And I think, I think that's the sign of a, of a really good coach. So I don't know, I might've gone off, but hopefully that answers your question. Oh, no, definitely. All right. So let's maybe take it down a level to the high school level. Um, sure. You know, you guys have, you guys have a lot of stuff. It's a lot of great stuff, but you know, we both know at the high school level, right. Sometimes you have to pare down, simplify. Um, so we're at the high school level. How can we use some of your strategies at Bethel um, 
in skill development and system development in daily practices at the high school level? Sure. Um, I think I love the, the finishing school, as we call it, and everything that's involved with that. I think, um, <laughs> so I have a, a fifth grade son. He plays fifth grade basketball. And sometimes when I watch him, I think like, oh, he's going to learn a little bit more about decision making as he gets older and stuff. And, and then I go watch AAU basketball, 17U, and I say, nope, they haven't learned decision making. <laughs> and so I think like whatever can be done to kind of like slow it down and simplify and help them make, help them learn to make decisions. I think that's such a big deal at the high school level. And I think sometimes they're playing like so fast. It's like, the, you know, they're on ice and flying around. And I think teaching them how to stop and use their skills is, is so valuable. Um, and so I think, I think if a high school coach spent time on, on finishing, like, it, it, like you, it would, people would see it translate, um, translate into practices and games and help with decision-making and all of that. Um, and I think sometimes just keeping it simple and teaching them how to play with each other is, is, is so great. And I, I can even tell, like, it's like, as soon as I, when I go watch these high school games, like the kids that play well together and move the ball, I mean, it's going to allow them, whatever their talents are just to flourish. And I think that's so important. So kind of to go to go into that a little deeper just with kind of a two-parter first for you guys what yep. stats or tools do you use to know what you are doing in practice is translating into the game you know especially if you have a freshman or a sophomore who didn't play a lot the year before you know and doesn't know the program this system you know what stats or tools or numbers or or things that you see allow you to know like their understanding Let's see. Um, I think so. You're at, so. So, is your main question asking how we're evaluate, evaluating their growth? Is that kind of what well, you're asking? Just evaluating maybe their growth, but then also evaluating throughout the season: is your offense being effective? Is your defense being effective? Like, what are those key stats that you're using to kind of measure or assess yourselves? Sure. I think like if we were to kind of break down and say like, who is, who is really helping us on the, on the floor, like who's playing, who's playing well together is, is a big thing that we'll talk about often. Like, like is, is so-and-so making those around him better. Um, obviously assist to turnover ratio is a significant stat and, um, and just, and probably how we're, how we're scoring together. Um, I guess that's probably as we're, as we're, I'm thinking as we're evaluating throughout the year is that's, and we evaluate practice pretty heavily. So we're watch we film everything in practice and we're watching that and we're, and we're seeing, seeing growth in those areas. So, um, if the ball's sticking a lot and it's not moving and we're having too many turnovers, those are probably the things where we like, where we see and we're like, okay, we need to make an adjustment. And why, why is that happening? And um, like, does somebody need to be in a different position where they're protected a little bit more? Like, 
maybe someone's at a certain spot where they might be making a few turnovers and not as, as good of decisions, but we can put them in a different spot where they're making better decisions. Um, again, I think a lot of it just goes back to that decision-making. So that's probably how we would evaluate things throughout the year. So then let's kind of tweak it to that other side of now yep. let's talk about how you're planning for the other team. So you're yep. planning for a team. Are you picking certain concepts in place to use against the team as like the emphasis of the day or certain players or certain actions, or even in a game, like, do you think like, I'm going to need a little bit more of a defensive mindset in that game. Am I going to value the defensive players versus more of a, maybe one day I need more of an offensive mindset. So that preparation for the opponent. Yep. So, um, so we definitely prepare for our opponents. Um, but I would say like, we, like, we almost want to kind of sneak it in because we want our guys to know that like our preparation for us is the most important because otherwise we can stress out and, and like get too uptight about so many different things that the other team might do. And it's about us playing the, the type of basketball that we want to play and that we're proud of and that we're, that we're growing and that we're seeing growth. That's what's most important to us. Now within that, um, you know, we might be thinking like, we might be looking at like how they're going to defend ball screens and what might be there off of that and how, and, um, you know, are they going to go, are they going to go under screens and, and what, what kind of things are we going to get off of that? So we're definitely looking at, 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 at things that are going to work against a certain team. Um, and then on the defense side, like we want them to know their personnel. We want them to know a few important things about, about key personnel. And we might be ready for a couple you know, we're going to be ready for some different actions that that team might run. And especially like what's the area we can, we can disrupt them. And, or, you know, if there was a game that's that another team played them really well, like what did that team do to kind of disrupt them and take them out of their rhythm? Or, you know, obviously if they're like, who are their top players? How are they getting, how are they getting their points? What can we, what can we focus on to make that difficult for them? So those are things that we're going to look for as we're planning and prepping for, for an opponent. But ultimately it's about us and playing, playing Bethel basketball the way we want to play. All right. So the, the timeout question, um, which we, which we always have. Yes. You see, you see a lot of games. You've been in a lot of huddles from professional basketball. I'm sure you've even been in the fifth, yes. fifth grade huddle, right? Yes. What is something that coaches do during a timeout that you think is not a productive use of the limited time they have? Um, I would probably say, if, you know, if, I don't know, like if a team's going to spend, if, if a coach is going to spend a whole timeout, like yelling at them about something. And sometimes you need to like get on about something, but then, I think you need to know how to leave that huddle by fixing the problem. And that has to happen pretty quickly. So um, usually, I mean, a timeout can be to break a rhythm or something like that, but usually you need to make a, make a quick adjustment or get your team realigned about what we're trying to do um, on the offense or And so that's what I want to see happen. I mean, we're thinking about, you know, are there, is there a substitution we want right now? Is there a matchup change we want right now? And, and what's something different? Is there anything different we're going to do on the offensive defensive end? All that has to 
happened pretty quickly. So I would think that um, if I've seen, because I have seen coaches like spend the whole time yelling at their team and then they leave maybe more discombobulated than when they came into the timeout. So of course we don't do that, but that's, that would be like, what I would say is, I don't know if that would be a good use of a timeout. So I agree with that. So uh, we always finish with a fun top five. So we saw that you were named one of the top 25 small college assistant coaches in the country. So we were curious from you as a, as an elite level assistant, what are your top five traits that make up a great assistant coach in a basketball program? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think, so one of the things I think about when you ask that question is alignment. Um, I think it's so important for assistant coaches to um, speak the same language as their head coach and be in alignment and obviously supportive and um, of the head coach. So that's one I would say. I like, we talk about, um, there's always going to be like, so in a course of a season and the off season and everything, there's going to be, you know, issues and things that come up and stuff. But I think as an assistant coach, like our job is to bring solutions, not problems to the head coach. Like, cause there's going to be like, we, we could come to a staff meeting and be like, Oh, we got this problem. We got this problem. We got this problem. But I think um, coaches that can bring solutions and ideas rather than more problems and issues um, is really important. Um, I would say might sound a little bit cliche, but just like just a hard work ethic and um, not needing attention. Like, like it's not going to be about you. Like really your goal as an assistant coach is to make the head coach be his best, has helped the head coach be their best and make them, make them, you know, look better and be able to be able to shine in their strengths and attributes and all of that. Um, and if an assistant coach is out there looking for attention um, rather than just being a hard worker and behind the scenes and getting things done, like, I think that's, what's most important. And then um, we've talked about this at times is just like, like if, if a head coach brings something up or something needs to get done, like if there's like, I just say, we can just say like, consider it done. And then I'm, and I might not be like, shoot, I don't know how I'm going to take care of that, but I'm going to go find a way, find a way to get it done, find a way to solve problems and, um, and, and help the head coach out so that they can focus on what's on the things that are most important for the program and, and the less clutter and all that stuff that you can keep out of, off of their plate and off of their desk. I think that's, ultimately helps the program and and that's what that's what we're here for we're here to help the program and make it stronger and just get better each day I always say half of what a head coach does has absolutely nothing to do with basketball at all so those are those are five great ones uh coach we we gravely appreciate you joining us uh we we were very excited to have you on just to talk about the different role for female coaches in coaching or your, your um, experience in the WNBA, um, obviously your experience with Bethel. Uh, so we really do appreciate you being on and, and giving us the time today. So thank you so much. Absolutely. I really appreciate you having me. It was, it's always 
fun to talk about what we do and why we do it and, um, and just get to know other coaches as well. So I appreciate the invitation. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the After the Timeout podcast. For more information and upcoming episodes, follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcasts by searching After the Timeout. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time for more basketball content on the court, off the court, and everything in between.